0: Hey, Jason Wood here, the VA Loan Guy and host of the Armed and Ready Podcast. Today, we have a really exciting episode for you. Come on and take a look. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy. Today, we have an Army veteran and financial advisor with us. Um, Gonna get into some really cool stuff. I'd like to welcome Jason Lavely to the show. How you doing, Jason? Good. Great name, by the way. Yeah, great name. Your parents get major <laughs> points. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for being on the show. It's really cool to have you here.
1: Yeah, happy to be here.
0: Um, so, tell us tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, where are you from, and what got you motivated to join the military? Sure.
1: So, born and raised uh, Massachusetts. Uh, went there. You know, after high school, I decided to go to college. Was civil engineer undergrad. Uh did that for four and a half years after I graduated school. I was applying for positions, and I I just knew that wasn't really what I wanted to do uh, long-term. And I, I always, I, my stepdad was in the Air Force for 20-plus years, so I kind of had that, kind of just that pull in that military direction. And it, just the thought of serving my country really you know, meant something to me. I wanted the opportunity to travel and kind of get paid to do that. So there's kind of a multitude of factors, but after I graduated, I had a couple job offers. Didn't want to do that, so I went and talked to a recruiter. I actually decided to enlist over a going officer at that time, which is a little unusual. Yeah, you know, most people would is, say yeah. like, "Oh, why don't you become an officer?" When you went in, right? The main reasons was I had student loans from college, and going enlisted, they actually pay back the student loans at that time.
0: Oh, as an officer,
1: cool. they didn't offer that. And another thing is, as an officer in especially in the army, you didn't get to pick your job. They were going to kind of assign you a field. It could have been Intel could have been MP, could have been infantry, and I didn't want to take that risk of getting in a field I didn't really like. Yeah, uh, could have been engineering, but there was no guarantee. Sure. So I decided to unless where I got to pick my position, so I knew exactly what I was kind of getting into a little bit. Uh, and then after that, I my position, my plan was to either you know drop my OCS back in, become an officer, or right. transition out. So I did that. Uh, started as a thirteen Romeo, which is a field artillery radar operator. Uh did that for four years active duty and then decided to turn, transition out after that.
0: So what do you do as a, a field radar operator? I mean, it sounds really badass, yeah. but like, w- yeah. what does the job entail? Yeah,
1: so it sounds really cool. And, I, you know, the website and everything leading up to it was like, oh, this is going to be, this is gonna be re- you know, really high speed. This is going to be, a, you know, a, a fun job. And ultimately, I'm really happy. I had it a great four years. So I really have nothing negative to say of my experience. But, yeah, it was definitely not as... As fun or as maybe uh, in depth as I thought it was, we basically our systems did two things. When the enemy was shooting at us, we figure out where it came from, okay. so that obviously mattered when we were in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, other thing we did is when we were doing friendly training exercises, our radar systems figured out where we were shooting. So if our uh, you know radar teams were like, "All right, we're going to give you a safety box. This is the kind of the range that we want to make sure we're hitting into," our system would say, "All right, you, you landed in the box, or you landed outside of that." We did training exercise, especially in Korea. We did that a lot. They were basically practicing, making sure they were actually accurate with their rockets and missiles. We would go out in the field with them. We would set up these huge radar systems, probably, probably about the size of this room. They're probably about 30, 40 feet high once we get them fully set up. Oh, dang. So we set them up and then we take these cables that hook up into like a vehicle that has computers. in there. So A lot of times, once we get everything physically set up on the system, we're just manning the computers. Gotcha. And then when we're either we friendly shooting or you know rounds are coming in, which I did when I was in Afghanistan, we basically take those coordinates and you know send them up the chain. Gotcha.
0: Yep. So where'd you get deployed? Afghanistan, obviously.
1: Yep, two thousand and fourteen. I was there for six months, supposed to be nine months, luckily it was cut short. So we were there Sweet. from May, yep. May twenty fourteen to right before we actually were home for Thanksgiving in two thousand and fourteen. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So we were on Kandahar, Kaf. Uh, airfield the entire time i was very lucky it was kind of a fava in a sense i never left the base um go. so i'm very happy about that though i mean I, we had um uh, you know we had hot showers we had ac where we slept so we i got to go to gym most days so for people that haven't are not familiar with canar airfield it was a i mean it was i think four miles by four miles i mean it was huge that's big it was like a city yeah uh, they had like it wasn't there when i was there but they had one point had like a dominoes you know there so it was not as you know i didn't see any combat or anything like that I Was very fortunate. Yeah. Um, my, my thing there is I just wore 12 hours every single day for the six months. So it was kind of groundhog's day for me. Oh, wow. That mo- movie had a whole new meaning. <laughs> uh, I kind of forgot what day it was a lot. I'm I think sure. My gym routine kept me more of like, okay, chess is Monday, you know, back's Tuesday. like that.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, um, so you got out and you know, we're, we're doing this live in San Diego. So how did you end up in San Diego coming from being an East coast kid? Now you're in the army traveled a little bit. How'd you end up way out here?
1: Yeah, so in the army, I got to—I was stationed in Korea for my first duty station. Great time up there, and then they moved me over to Fort Lewis, Washington, which is up near Seattle. Yep. Uh, that's where I went back after Afghanistan. So I was there until June of 2015. I decided to transition out, become a civilian again. Uh, after that, I had a clean slate. I was, you know, single at the time. I knew I didn't want to go back. I was kind of used to being away from home. Kind of okay with that. And I wanted to kind of, kind of start something new for myself. I wanted to actually move somewhere warm and fun. So originally, I was thinking Florida. Okay. Uh, And I actually talked to a bunch of people and and some people said, like, you really need to look at California. Uh, And then I had a friend, luckily, in April of 2015, that year I was getting out because I was getting out at the end of June. He went to San Diego in April. He's like, no, 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 you don't need to go to Florida. You you actually need to go to San Diego. This is my best friend. And uh, I basically just took his word for it. I'd never been to California before. Didn't know a single person here. Wow. And at that point, I knew I was going to be going in the financial services industry. So I had some flexibility in terms of location. Especially with Edward Jones, the company I now work with. Yep. They basically they said I could go anywhere I wanted. Oh well. So, pretty so yeah, basically my friend visiting here was the catalyst for me to pick San Diego. And then with Edward Jones, I was fortunate to be able to actually make that happen.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I mean kind of flying on blind faith a little bit, but yeah. I'm sure you're happy with the decision. San Diego's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone that's even been here stationed, vacation, doesn't matter. I think everyone has the same context of like, yeah, San Diego is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. It's been over
1: uh, July, 2015, been over five years. Definitely one of the best decisions. I mean, I think my first roommates I met via Skype uh, <laughs> on Craigslist. So it, it, you know, I've come a long
0: way from then, but it right, uh, yeah. definitely, it definitely was a good decision. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my story is quasi similar in the sense of how I got to San Diego. Um, my boss in the mortgage industry, we we're working for a big company at the time, was just trying to climb the corporate ladder and he was from the area. An opportunity came up and he was just in my ear. Like, you got to come down here. You got to come down here. And I had like this preconceived notion of Southern California that it was like LA everywhere. Mm. Right. Like smog and gross. And I was just like, no way there's not a chance I'm going down there. He's like, dude, just come down for a weekend. What do you got to lose? I'm like, okay, good point. A weekend. I have nothing to lose. And literally like 30 days later I was here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, So in your, your decision to transition, um, did you already have kind of your eyes set on what you were going to do next when you're like signing off at the army or, or what was that process like for you?
1: So I luckily had about a year to really plan it because I was, I had my OCS, which is basically a packet to become an officer. I had that completely built out. I was very serious about potentially doing that, but ultimately I decided I, you know, I have, I think the deployment was probably the the nail in the coffin. I just wanted more control over my life again. I Mm -hmm. was very happy with having to serve. But I just wanted a little bit more control. So I basically made the decision to get rid of, you know, the officer route. I was going to get out. And then from there, initially, I thought I was going to lean on my civil engineering background. Gotcha. I thought I was going to go into construction management. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer and doing design work per se. Mm-hmm. But maybe you can, I had some friends in construction management world. So I kind of had an idea of what that was like. So I thought I was going to lean on that since that's what my degree was in. Right. Had some internships in that. So I thought that's what, what I was going to do. So luckily I had about a year when I was in Fort Lewis, Washington, I won a lot of career fairs. Army actually had a great program that I got to go to a lot of like workshops, not only just interview and, you know, resume building, but just helping you transition, helping me answer this question. What would you like to do? Where do you want to be? What's the most priority? Is the location? Is it job? Is it family? So that those, I, I guess, programs that the Army offered really helped, really helped me help answer that question. Yeah, that's really great. Uh, but ultimately, what happened is I actually at a career fair I met someone at New York Life. He was a uh, Houston Me- Mecha- mechanical engineer. He's like, "Have you ever thought about financial services?" I was like, "Nope, <laughs> uh, I didn't really have any idea. I actually, probably had a negative connotation to it." Okay. Uh, so I want to talk to him, and he kind of just opened my eyes—not just to New York Life, but just the industry as a whole. What it was like. What do they actually do? What does it entail? What are the qualities you need? And with him having that engineering background, I was like, "Oh, well, if he, you know, he did it, well, maybe I can too." Ultimately, I ended up finding Edward Jones at another career fair. And that was way more aligned to what I actually wanted to do. Because I was actually, during that deployment, I decided to get really into personal development. You know, very stereotypical reading Tony Robbins, you know, finding Tim Ferriss. Yeah. You know, getting into, you know, mindfulness meditation. I'm now a big, you know, yoga fan here. I got certified being in San Diego. But I started going down that personal development path. And that kind of coincided with me wanting to learn about money, investments, how to be financially free. I didn't know anything. I mean, I was a smart person, I felt but I didn't really know what a mutual fund or a stock was or any of that. So I personally wanted to learn that for me and my future family. And with Edward Jones as a financial advisor, that was basically what you were expected to do with your clients. So I basically found them and that kind of just really personally aligned with what I wanted to do professionally. And that's why I started
0: going down that route. That's cool. And I hear, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I hear that Edward Jones is a pretty great company for getting that career started from like ground zero to full speed, right? I mean, they have a pretty... Awesome package and training and all that, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So actually the reason why they were my number one choice, because I had about four other companies in this industry as a financial advisor to choose from, and Mm -hmm. their process was the longest. um, And for good reason, I can see now. Uh, But they had a forces training program, which was designed specifically for veterans like myself transitioning out for the military. Oh, okay. So no other firm had that. Basically, some firms I would have to pay to get, you know, you have to have certain security licenses even to do this. Right. Some firms you had to pay for that on your own and you weren't going to get hired until after you pass. Not only did Edward Jones pay me during that, they set up me on a specific training program. I had basically uh, two extra months of training that a normal hire would not get. And it basically had guaranteed compensation the first year. So there was no risk of me having to worry about commissions or selling thing. None of that was all that was basically irrelevant. It was just basically training me and really allowing me the runway to be successful because for me with a no sales background, no financial background, yeah. I still had a lot of doubts if this was really what, I, if I was going to be able to like, you know, swim in this. Yeah. really jumping into the deep end. And they really, in my opinion, kind of gave me a safety net. And that program with the extra training, I think really made a big difference for me personally.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's really cool. And just giving, like you mentioned, like that runway. Yeah. Um, that's super good. I mean, I work, you know, in commission uh, sales in the mortgage business. And yeah, I mean, there's, when you're getting started and I, you know, I've helped train up like new guys and stuff like that, the learning curve is steep. And the paychecks aren't immediate, right? And, and they take a while and they're not guaranteed either. Yep, yep. So um, yeah, that's super cool. So how long have you been um, with Edward Jones now? So
1: pretty much as soon as I moved here, which was July of 2015, I was hired right away. I took a couple of weeks to get kind of settled. Yeah. I uh, started studying. So I passed my Series 7, Series 66 and in California insurance. So that took a few months. That took them until October of that year and then officially formally started my my training with them. I back to home office, which is in St. Louis. Okay. That's where we were founded in 1922. We're coming to about hundred years. Uh, so I'm back there for training. And then I would say really officially that the February of 2016 is when I was allowed to actually open up accounts and start working with clients.
0: So it's going nice. to be technically five years in this upcoming February. That's really cool. Yep. So, um, so walk me through like kind of life as a financial advisor. Um, And I'm sure it's probably insightful for other people too. I mean, I think everyone's perception is, yeah, you help people with their retirement accounts and how to invest, but like, there's more to it than that, right? Right. There's like, you have to go find the clients. You have to, to build your book of business. It doesn't just like fall out of the sky in your lap and poof, here's a million clients. Right? Right. So like walk us through that. Like, so like day one, you're licensed, here you go, San Diego, build it. What do you do?
1: Yeah, so let me. I guess that's kind of like a two parts. So let me first end up like kind of building your business, and I guess we can maybe get to like a like a day in the life of yeah. what kind of some of the activities we do. But first, like you said, I didn't know anyone here. I didn't have any friends. I mean, my roommates were met on Craigslist. So when I had to build my business, the way Ever Jones does it is very unique. We actually go door to door. So my plan was to open up an office in North Park, and with Ever Jones, we have local offices throughout the country. We have like over forty here, just in San Diego. Yeah, and different. We have one in Pacific Beach, kind of where we're we're filming right now. Uh, But at the time, I didn't have anybody. So basically, I went to North Park and I literally, if someone lives there, they may have met me in the past. I literally knocked on their door uh, and just introduced myself, you know, kind of something like, are you a, you know, Mormon? Are you a realtor? (laughs) Uh, You know, overall, I had a few maybe, you know, unique experiences. Um, That's to be expected, right? Only one person threatened to call the police, but I had a solicitor's permit. I was legally allowed to be there. I went through all the, you know, legal channels. Uh, But overall, of the thousands and thousands of doors, very positive. And I've been able to build my successful business strictly from all those relationships I started at the door. Didn't happen overnight. It was one of the most challenging experiences. That's intimidating. I mean, (laughs) knocking on someone's door like, hey,
0: let's do business. Like, whoa.
1: Yeah. So I think, again, maybe I mentioned earlier about that kind of me going down that personal development path. If I did not start that journey, I don't think I would have been able to do this career. Because I was already starting to do things, you know, comfort zone challenges. And I know that's cliche. And you need to step outside your comfort zone. Sure. But yeah. the reality is, I really did have to do those things in order to be successful at this. Because my first door, I still remember it. I was literally shaking going up to it. But after, you know, a second one, shaking a little bit less. Third one, a little bit less. And then about a couple of weeks in, you really start to get a rhythm of it. If you and if you're, do, and I was doing this for hours every day. So you, once yeah. you start getting the reps in, like anything. It comes a little easier. It comes a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, you know, you're actually able to connect with people. You're not as nervous thing. Like, okay, I can't, what am I going to say? What am I, you can actually just have an, a normal conversation. You can remember everything that's said. And then the important thing with that is actually going back because everyone may go one time or two times. But when I started going back three, four, five, they're like, this person's like serious. Like he keeps coming back. <laughs> uh, and I think it was on those sixth and seventh re- repeats. Sometimes it took, you know, a year. Maybe it wasn't, they weren't ready right away, but me, like I said, pleasantly persistent, kind of like a pit bull without teeth. Yeah, uh, I just kept bugging people in in a very professional and polite way. But I think once I saw how serious I was about that, and I was talking about things that they cared about, like you mentioned retirement, maybe it was estate planning, maybe it was their kids or grandkids' college education, maybe it was insurance, maybe it was an inheritance. I mean, there's so many different things we could help people with. Right. So my job is just asking questions. So I would just ask questions at the door. What's most you know, what's top of mind financially for you right now? What's most important? What do you What are you What are you concerned about? What are you working on? So I would try to just ask questions and talk as little as possible and get that person to kind of just tell me what they cared about or what they didn't care about. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, it was very challenging, but it it works if you're if you're willing to go through that process. I didn't have a, a network here like a lot of other advisors lean on their professional networks or you know friend networks. Right. I didn't have that, so it it works. Yeah,
0: you got to build it from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, that door to door thing. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you had your share of dogs and. Dogs. Yeah, I only got four letter words. <laughs> it was a very light, light bite. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and I'm a big dog person. But yeah, there was overall, uh, one person came to the door that was not clothed one time. Oh, so a couple right. couple experiences like that. Uh, and luckily, at this point, I mean, with, with COVID, of course, we, we stopped doing that. Yeah. But even before that, with where we got the business with more referral based from clients and professionals. I never actually minded the door to door as you know, I know that may sound weird, but it it worked. I was able to actually screen people like, Oh, you're sound like a client that may be an ideal client for me in terms of their need, in terms of their goals, in terms of their assets. So I was still doing a little bit pre COVID, but not nearly as
0: back in, you know, 2015, 2016 and 2017. Yeah. Well, you know, like, even in my industry as well, like some of those old school tactics um, are so much more proven and effective than you know, leaning on technology and emails and texting right. and Instagram and Facebook and I mean, while all of those are good tools, of um, it's it's the good old like face to face, belly to belly, like that's that's where you really can build it, right? Mm-hmm. And they, right. you know, they can they can they can judge you for who you really are because they're looking right into your eyes, right? right? You know, they can yeah. tell if you're sincere or you're yeah. you're you know selling snake oil, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: and and in my in our practice, to maybe answer that second part of what it's like to be an advisor. My whole <clears throat> value you know proposition is face to face so it's very genuine it's like i want to work with you face to face for years to come and here i am you know asking for that opportunity because we you know we also compete with a lot of you know do yourself free platforms like the vanguards and fidelities of the world which is great but what we want to do is this we want to sit across the table from someone we want to go really deep we want to know what's important to them what's not important we want to know what their goals or dreams and we want to really go deep with that, and then really design—I would say—tailored solutions, whether it's retirement or it's you know portfolio construction. I mean, there's so many different things, so many hats that we can wear. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so to me, doing it, starting it face to face is just very, you know, coherent with what it's going to be like for the for the years to come.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, that's you know, that's how you they develop the trust in you, right? right? Yeah. Is having that time, and um, you know, it's it's interesting because we're in like that technology age now, right? Like everything is online and everything is cheaper and better. Click here. Right. Like, so, I mean, do you see, I see that a lot in my industry, right? You've got like, you know, the, the quick, the rocket mortgage and you got all this stuff, like press a button and poof, here's a mortgage. Right. And Mm -hmm. you know, and it attracts a lot of people Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you same in in your financial services sector, um, probably see that. Like a, a lot of what I end up in conversation with people about is, you know, kind of you know, price versus service and not that there's huge disparities between one company or the other in the price category, but the service category, there can be huge, huge things. Do you see like that same thing in your, your industry?
1: No, absolutely. And and I think I learned this very early on, which I'm, you know, we actually at Edward Jones, we don't look to compete on price. If someone has a time the energy and, you know, the ability, and they really want to do their entire financial planning on their own. Well, then there's several firms, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity Vanguard. I don't feel like they're my competitors. My competitors are more maybe of maybe like a Merrill Lynch or a UBS or a Morgan Stanley. We are in the, you know, the relationship business, right? Uh, I sell Vanguard funds. I sell Fidelity funds. I have, rela- I have contacts at each of those firms. So I kind of know what's going on with those portfolio managers and those firms as a whole. So I don't view them as competitors whatsoever. Uh, and there's plenty of people out there who do have the time, energy, and, and ability to do their own planning. And I don't look to work with them. We're very upfront with what we're looking to do. We don't compete on price. You know, we're professionals like anyone, whether you go to a nice restaurant, whether if you fly first class, whether you work with a CPA, an attorney, the professionals are compensated for the work that they do. And, you know, we're not shy about that, but we look to really deliver on that relationship. You know, we're... What people think what we're going to do, we often, a lot of times when we take on board a new client, they maybe had an advisor before, but they're like, wow, they, my past advisor never explained this this way, or they never actually talked to me about contingent beneficiaries or my tax planning or my estate planning. They just rebalance my account once a year. So, I mean, even within the advisor world, there's a lot more that you can do for a client and be a lot more of a, I consider myself more of a comprehensive, you know, financial planner studying for my CFP once done that. And we're going a lot deep. When I keep saying going deeper, I just mean kind of more comprehensive. Long, gotcha. You know, long-term care, Social Security, Medicare. I mean, we're doing that full service, which, of course, those other firms I mentioned, it may be free, but you're not getting any of that guidance, any of that ongoing support. No one's reaching out to you like in March of this year when the market's down. right? They weren't calling their clients and saying, hey, this would be a great time to be adding to your portfolio rebalancing. Right. In fact, they actually like Robinhood, for example, was actually down for a day because they, they had technology glitches. Ooh. Uh, so that's bad if you're day trading, right? It was. Yeah. So, again, the free is great. I mean, but at the end of the day, some people are jumping over, you know, dollars to, you know, to save pennies. It's going to be the adage I use.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great adage. Um, and I'm sure you've probably seen like a lot this year. We've had, I mean, 2020 has been Wild. Yes. I mean, I mean, for lack of a better description, it's yeah. been a wild year, right? Mm-hmm. And in in our industries, I mean, both. I mean, we in the mortgage industry, you know, closely are following like mortgage-backed security index, ten-year treasury yields, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you're following all the other indices and and businesses and portfolio funds and stocks and all that stuff. Um, what what has it been like this year? I mean, it it's been crazy on my end. I'm I'm sure you have you have some similar experience, yeah. Well, yeah,
1: so maybe we'll start with kind of the overlap. I mean, like you said, the 10-year treasury is often a big benchmark for, for the mortgage world. Yeah. I mean, that was over 1% coming into the year. It got as low as 0.5% over the summer. And now we've climbed back up to close to about 09 roughly today, depending yeah. on where it closes. So it's been a while yet with the treasury market. Uh, I mean, we had a bear market this year for stocks. And all that means is that the, the market went down more than 20% from its high which was February 19th at the time and up until March 23rd on that Monday S&P was down about 34%. It wasn't the only time the market had gone down more than 30%, but it was the fastest bear market on record ever. Worse than the Great Depression back in the 20s, worse than you know 87, you know any other time in history it was the fastest to go down 30 over 30%. And actually over the last 70 years the S&P's only gone down 30% only four other times. So wow. it's happened, but yeah. it's not common. Right, um, and in one calendar year, so the fact that happened so quickly, what really ended up happening is the Federal Reserve stepped in and they really kind of cleared up the plumbing behind the scenes, making sure money, the Treasury market started working again. Yeah, and things that even on my end, it's really more on the back end of what they stepped in, but on that day, is the new bull market started, and the Dow Jones and S and P are up over sixty percent since March twenty fourth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we hit all-time highs just, you know, just yesterday on, uh, I think that was November 30th, you know, was the high of the year so far. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very wild year. You know, we've we've seen really what normally takes place over three to four years happen in about one in terms of the market going down and then with the recovery with how quick and fast it was. Weirdly, I actually wish the, market, the stock market had stayed lower a little bit longer because I wanted to maybe reach out to a few more people because we yeah. were... I mean, think about what we just had—Black Friday and Cyber Monday—and people were buying things on sale. Maybe buy the iPhone at twenty-five percent off. Well, we were buying Apple and Microsoft stock at thirty-four percent off back in back. It in was March. on sale. Everything, the whole market was on sale. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. joke of the stock market is it's the only store that goes on sale and everybody runs out.
0: Yeah, but yeah. If, which if, is if, counterintuitive, <laughs> right? right?
1: But if everyone applied their Christmas shopping to their investing, they'd be much,
0: you know, much better off. Yeah. Well, so, and that's that, you know, that kind of advice that you get, right? right. Because, um you know, our personal intuition is probably always the opposite of what needs to be done, especially in financial services. Right. Uh, And that's the cool thing about, you know, working with a professional, regardless of the industry, really, but like, especially in financial services, mortgage services, like you have your finger on the pulse, right? You have an idea of what's happening. Not that we can predict the future, but we have kind of an idea of where we're headed, at least maybe the next day or two, you know, like we can't predict, you know, three Thursdays from now, but you know, the next day or two, we have kind of an idea how how the market's going to be based on our experience, what we've seen and what kind of reports we're getting. And that's the other thing, too, is like is just the information, you know, when you compare, you know, connecting with with you versus, you know, trying to do it on your own is the information I mean, you're plugged in. Well, well, to that
1: point, I would say what, what you're not going to get from these do yourself platforms is I actually get to hear direct. I think maybe this is speaks Edward Jones, too. I got to hear from Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock. And for people that don't, BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. They manage over $7 trillion in assets. They're a big deal. Big deal. Uh, and I was hearing directly from him and their chief investment officer and their portfolio manager. So the people that are managing $7 trillion in assets as an advisor, I get to hop on these calls and hear exactly what they're thinking and what they're doing and what they think the market's going to do directionally. So in March and April, when really things were still really crazy, every week I was on Fidelity calls. So I got to know what Fidelity was thinking. BlackRock, T Rowe Price, American Funds, J.P. Morgan. I mean, the list. I mean, we work with so many different firms. Yeah. And I was taking the time personally. I mean, I didn't have to, but I, like you said, I finger on the pulse. Like I wanted to know what the professionals were doing, totally, so I could distill that information, take it for myself, and then share that to my clients. So I think that really matters. And, and there was actually a call. I think it was Fidelity. I think it was Fidelity. Actually, it was I think Tuesday the twenty fourth, and, and the question came up: Is this the bottom of the market? Which we now know it was, but. at that day, you did not know that right. the market just kept falling. At that point, yeah, and and they said, you know, I, I we can never tell you a day, but this feels really close, and we're putting money to work. So I took that, and that gave me a lot of confidence. When you have a huge firm like Fidelity saying that, I started calling clients. I'm like, here, here's what they're doing. Maybe we should, you know, follow suit. And now I call those clients six months later. They're up. 10, 20, you know, some clients were up like 50% from some of the things we did. It's incredible. And actually some doubled some of the stocks like Salesforce. We, for example, bought in March, doubled year to date. So I mean, there's really good opportunities. That's what I'm saying. I wish sometimes it will last maybe a little bit longer because it really rebounded so quickly. It did. But that information, my ability to kind of hop on these calls, I think makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. What,
0: what do you see coming up like in the next year? I mean, we had, you know, one of the things that, that I get kind of, From clients is oh I'm gonna wait till after the election let's Mm -hmm. see what happens with that you know now we're we're kind of past that and you know we're gonna be heading into 2021 and obviously Mm -hmm. you know COVID is still kind of an overarching concern with everything Um, but what are you guys seeing or or hearing about what's to come next year and I and I hear you know on the mortgage side I hear kind of conflicting ideas of where things are gonna go but what what are you hearing on your end yeah I think COVID is definitely
1: the biggest. You know, still risk out there, and it's still you know whether we have good news like today with Britain being the first Western country to approve Pfizer's vaccine. That that's good news for the market. So on days like that, that will be a boost for stocks. And if there's any bad news, maybe if the you know efficacy rate isn't as good or any hiccups with you know the logistics, that could maybe push the market lower. But I think directionally, I think we're going to move higher from here for a few reasons. I think we are getting closer to a vaccine being approved here in the United States. Uh, improve therapeutics and so not vaccine, but maybe someone is sick with it. And, you know, Gilead has run Uh, there's several other firms that have recently got FDA clearance for their treatment drugs. So that's going to continue to get better as well. Uh, we're going to have another fiscal package passed at some point from Washington DC and Congress. Yeah. It's been at stalemate for months, but within a new administration coming in, if they can't get it in by the end of this year. Everyone in our industry is looking to January or, you know, February at the latest for some sort of stimulus money, like the CARES Act was passed in March. We don't know the dollar amount. It could be 500 billion. It could be 1.5 trillion. But I would say that's probably a good range. Maybe close to about a trillion would be my base case today with what I know. Mm -hmm. But it could be a little best. We don't know. But at some point, money will be kind of injected to either individuals, you know, state and local governments, the economy, businesses. That's very supportive. For the stock market and the economy as a whole. Right. And that's kind of a little bit being priced in. And, and to your point, we, I had a few clients that had some cash on the sidelines and they, they wanted to, you know, wait to the election. And what we do in those cases is we dollar cost average, we systematically invest. So let's say if they have just picking some numbers, let's say they a hundred thousand to invest, well, maybe we just do 10,000 a month over 10 months, and we don't jump all the way in with that cash. And that's just, you know, a basic example, but sometimes people feel more comfortable doing that. Uh, and I found that's really helpful, especially when markets are moving around. But I, I think due to the fiscal package that's coming with the improved vaccine and treatment front and due to COVID, I think the market stock market will create all time highs in 2021. Uh, we've been, you know, me personally, and with all my clients, we've been leaning a little bit more with their portfolios, depending on the risk tolerance and their goals, but a right. little bit more towards their equity, a little bit less on the fixed income. Because with the treasury so low, it says C sell with bonds. When rates go down, that helps you know, existing bondholders. But when rates go back up, that actually could be negative for for the existing bondholders. So it can actually be slightly risky to be having a lot of treasury exposure right now because it's already gone from about 0.5 up to one. So that's actually a big percentage move. So I I think right now is a good time to be, there's always a good reasons not to invest. You know, it could be China issues, trade war, COVID, uncertainty. We still have the the Senate uh, runoff in Georgia on January 5th. Because right now, 50 Republicans and 48 Democrats. So depending what happens there is going to dictate the control of the Senate. And that does matter because if it stays Republican, then, you know, Biden and, and, you know, the House of Representatives would have a hard time passing really progressive changes. And gridlock is usually good for the economy. the Yeah. Yeah. So if we do have a Republican Senate, we don't know until January. But if that happens, then a lot of the fears of higher taxes and sweeping changes just can't actually procedurally happen if it's the Republicans have the Senate. So, right. so we won't know that of course, for a few more weeks, but for a few reasons, I, you know, I'm, we're very optimistic going into 2021.
0: Yeah. 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 And we hear kind of on the mortgage side, a lot of the same thing, you know, that, um, that, that government influx of money, um, you know, there's going to be a large portion of that. That's going to be distributed to to treasuries and bonds. Right. And whenever the money is um, allocated, there and it's in big amounts, right? I mean, we're talking billions, you know, it's not like here's 10 grand. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars like per month. Um, and and that helps to drive mortgage interest rates down or at least keep them where they are. Right. Um, and so yeah, the outlook for us next year is we're going to see interest rates fairly stagnant. You know, I mean, always has little ups and downs just like the market does, but, um, no wild swings. You know, we're not gonna to jump to six percent rates, you know, in March. Um, nor are we gonna to fall to zero percent rates either, even if the Fed cuts rates again. But um um yeah, that's that's a lot what we're seeing. And um Well, I'm just curious with them. I mean, I've been hearing people
1: refine getting like two and a half percent. I've heard someone yesterday say they had a two point two
0: thirty. I mean, is that what you're still seeing on your side? I mean that's yeah, that's well, great for you know, Especially people. on VA loans. Right. So I mean you and I are eligible for those right. and, and yeah, we've been putting a lot of people into, you know, two and a quarter, thirty year fixed, two and a quarter, yeah. like no points, um, on their on their VA refi. Um and we we get the best rates as vets. Um, you know, we have the best loan product um available to us. But even those that didn't serve and are looking at other loan options, the rates are incredible. I mean, you have three percent or below, sure. which is nearly free money. <laughs> Right, My savings account two years ago
1: was at basically 2%. <laughs> yeah. Growing the same as a mortgage. I mean, that's unheard of.
0: Totally unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, you look at the amortization schedule on that, you know, and, right. and even those don't even understand that. Like, just look at your mortgage statement every month. If you're like 3% or lower on your rate and every month you look at that statement, like how much went to principal, how much went to interest, like you're legitimately paying this house off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot more is going towards paying that principal balance down. Absolutely. So it's... um. Super smart time. I'm sure you probably talk to clients all the time that are like, hey, here's everything I got going on. What should I do? You know? And well, through our process,
1: actually, a lot of times I have to, I have to kind of dig that out of them, but you know, a lot of the, we go, go through their liabilities. So every review meeting or with the potential new client, we'll kind of do an onboarding. And that's where I'm just kind of you know, writing out what do you have? What do you have here? And I just go through a list, a long list of questions. And liabilities is one of those. I'm like, oh, do you have a mortgage? Great. What's the balance? What's the principal and interest payment? And what's the interest rate? Oh, it's four and a half. Have you explored doing a refi? Oh, and and we have that conversation. So sure. anything like, I'd say over three and a half, I'm like asking him, have you had, explored doing a refi? Have you done it before? I think before like 4% was my market, but just with how low this keeps going, I, I'm pretty much asking everybody. Yeah. And for the most part, a lot of our clients are were on it and they were doing it, but some like, oh no, I haven't. You know, And we put them in contact with someone like, wow, we we saved 50,000 of interest over the next 20 or 20 plus years. I mean, that's serious money. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I had one client, he, he did, he did rate, I think it was like 90,000 for him due to his situation. And he was just like, thank you for like telling me to do this. Cause he wasn't going to do it. He's like, "No, nah, it's not worth
0: it. And then he, he did it and he saved all that money. Yeah. So it makes a big, it makes yeah. a big difference, especially when you're looking at your financial planning, right? Looking long term. Sometimes people have tunnel vision to yeah. like what's next month going to look like. Yeah. But you know, when you're looking, what does next month, 10 years from now look like, you know? Then, then the numbers really look nice in your right. favor to, to pull that rate down. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just when you think everybody on the planet has refinanced their house, here comes someone that's like, well, yeah, I'm still at 4.8. And you're like, holy moly, okay, well, right. you're going to be happy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can cut that in half. Either. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, you know, you got your own Edward Jones business, right? So I'm sure you have kind uh, of your personal goals for your team and everything else. Mm-hmm. What are you looking at for yourself? What's what's kind of the trajectory for you or like a five year goal, you know, as as a financial advisor? What are you what are you looking to accomplish?
1: Yeah. So the big thing for me is we're still looking to we still have capacity to grow. Um we are look, we are being more selective though with the clients that we do take on because we want to make sure it's right fit. And we sure. want to make sure we I kind of joke we have like a personality minimum, you know, making sure <laughs> it's a good good fit. You know, yeah. they're gonna, you know, take the advice and they're gonna be, you know, respectful of our time. But we also have a complexity minimum, meaning like, is there really enough for me to roll up my sleeves or is it do they just need like a rebalancing of one account once a year? That's probably, you know, really not what we need to focus on. But do they have more complex like estate planning needs, legacy needs, help maybe help with their taxes where we can link in with their CPA? Are they a business owner and they need to set up a retirement plan, insurance? Do they have kids, grandkids? I mean, we want to have a lot of things that we can help work with them on. Uh, It's not always about, you know, a lot of, you know, in our industry is like, oh, what's your minimum in terms of like account size? I don't, we don't really have a hard fixed number. I think that kind of misses some opportunities with, you know, some clients that are maybe starting out, but have a really good runway over the next five years. Yeah. So we're looking to grow. We're looking to grow, you know, our assets, looking on and take about 12 to 15 new clients a year, you know, roughly, uh, you know, of, of the right, you know, a variety and over the next, really continue over the next five years, I think we'll have the ability to take on about 12 to 15 a year over the next five years. Uh, and just going deeper with our existing clients, maybe working with somebody that their, you know, if they're older, maybe working with their kids or if, you know, they're younger, maybe working with their parents. I'm trying to be, you know, we say more important to fewer people. Right. Um, and just really that's helping good. with family and inter- you know, generational planning. Yeah.
0: So would you say like, I mean, we, our audience largely is, you know, a lot of military and stuff. What would you say? Um, maybe some advice for someone who's active duty right now. Maybe they're just putting some money in the TSP yeah. and that's kind of where the, you know, the blinders are and that's sure. it. Right. So, um, which is totally normal. Nothing wrong with that. Um, that's what I did.
1: Yeah, I didn't even know what a TSP was when I was putting money in that
0: thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what would you say to people now that are in that boat? They're like, I don't know. Some money goes in there. I don't even know what it does.
1: Well, I would say first, congrats. I mean, that's a great first step. Like, if you're already adding money to the TSP, even if you don't really know what it is, that's that's a win. That's a good thing. Totally. I, I was putting a very. I mean, I wish I maybe added a little bit more, but I was happy I put a little bit in there. So I would start at a you know budget permitting, you know, a few percent. If you can put up to five, great. Uh, and then you have the question of, do I do it pre-tax or Roth? And that's where everyone's situation is different and always getting some tax advice helps. But if you're younger, you know, I'd say, you know, under, you know, you know, generally under 40, I, the Roth is a great option. It's basically how that works quickly is that it's after tax money it doesn't help you now, but that grows tax free when you take it out in the future, it's all tax free. So the example is, would you rather pay tax on 10,000 or 100,000? Well, I want to pay tax on the 10. Well, that would be the Roth. You pay tax now and then it grows tax free, comes out tax free later. So I'd say maybe take a look at that. Uh, in terms of the options, there's basically five index funds at the TSB. The G fund, the F fund, the SC, and the I. That's it. But the life cycle funds kind of picks for you. So maybe just pick, you know, life cycle 2040 or 2050 or 2035. Something that kind of, you know, gets you out to age 60 or 65. Gotcha. If you don't really know what those are, uh, those life cycle funds are fine. Um, I'm a big believer of kind of starting with the basics with someone. So meaning making sure you have enough for, an, you know, savings, emergency fund. And I would say step one is just looking at a budget. There's no right or wrong numbers, but it's just helpful to be honest with how much you're actually spending every month. Are you spending two thousand a month? Or are you spending 10? There's not right or wrong, better or worse. It's just what are you actually spending? Yeah, you can use mint. It's a free website. you can use Excel, QuickBooks, um, you know Google Doc, you can use it on paper however you want to do it. There's no right or wrong way, but just being honest on much you're spending. And then general with thumb if you if you don't have a family at least three to six months so if you're spending five thousand at least having fifteen to thirty thousand just safe at the bank, not invested. Even I know savings rates are zero. It's still better to keep that nice and safe in case anything ever happens. Right. If you have a family, I would recommend in closer to six months, six to twelve. So again, figuring out how much you spend first is really important. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't matter what it is, but just multiply that by six to twelve and make sure you have that in place. And then insurance is important. I know you have SGLI from the active duty. Sometimes that's not enough. So it's always good to do kind of a needs analysis, If they, especially if they have kids. It's a growing family. I think that's important to do. Uh, but just some of the basics, is make sure you have enough savings and just make sure
0: you're added to the TSP. Yeah. and well, I think that gets overlooked a lot too. Um, is just the basic budgeting, right? And I yeah. deal with a lot of military clients and I see that that gets overlooked a lot, which is you know they look on their bank account when they log in and like oh yeah i got enough money and the bills are paid whatever and um, but really kind of taking an analysis you know maybe look back at the last 2 to 3 months what you spent in what category how much should i spend going out to eat right how much should i spend on entertainment how much should i spend on on clothing or whatever right, right. and and do that analysis because um, it will be eye opening i think for some people yeah. um, to know like holy how i'm spending that much eating out and i figured it was just coffee here and lunch there right mm-hmm. um and, um, so I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like just start out with that budget, right? And then start creating a savings yep. number. And then, you know, if you're already doing the TSP and you finally got yourself to your three or six month savings, now start saving some money to invest and now start throwing that in the market somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and now start growing your money over time. And if you can condition yourself to, saving 20% of your income yeah. every month. I mean, if you could do that for 40 years, you'll retire with a million bucks regardless of what you invested in. Absolutely. Just yeah. that 20%, just in something, invest it I mean, in something. 20% is great. If some people can get to
1: 10, that's like, what us start at five. And I think it's more like the it, habit right? building, right? like just getting you used to the, you know, when you're putting money into a bucket that you're not gonna touch for a while and just building that habit. When I work with really successful and wealthy people, it wasn't that they did anything special; it just that they were consistent with saving, or usually at least ten percent of their income. Sometimes more—twenty percent is great. But if you can at least do ten consistently for decades, you're, you're going to be fine. It's yeah. just—it's just sticking to that. And I know it's hard. But even people that don't make a lot—you always hear the stories that someone made, you know, just fifty thousand, but they saved ten percent of that, and they were millionaires in like thirty plus years. Yeah. It's totally possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's always, and it's always a kind of a, a, you know, ladder approach, start with the savings, start with the TSP. And then when you start maxing that out, then you can look at IRAs. And when you max those out, then you can go, like you said, to an investment account, you can look at real estate. There's always that kind of ladder approach. Once you start filling up one bucket, you know, what, what's next? You always go to that next level.
0: Yeah. And and the other thing is too, is you get conditioned for it, right? So if you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I get 5% every month, like you just, it becomes normal. Right. And after a couple of months of you stocking away 5%, you're like, Oh, my lifestyle isn't really that negatively impacted. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I don't go out to eat every Saturday night. Maybe it's three Saturday nights a month. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, then you can easily just kind of fine tune it and tweak it from there. Yeah. And you build that up to 10%. And It's not, you don't feel it. Yeah. Right. You just, you just acclimate to it. Just like you PCS to somewhere that's hot and humid yeah. it sucks at the beginning, right. During the yeah. summer, but eventually it's no big deal. Right. And yeah. it's kind of the same thing with the savings plan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Sweet man. Well, um, where can people get connected with you? Like if they have questions about either investing or maybe they someone's listening to this and they just want to like pick your brand on like, hey, I'm kind of interested in that financial services career once I get out. Sure. Um, can they reach out to you and just, you know, connect and on, on either either way, how do they reach out to you?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So a couple of things. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, so just Jason Lavely, you could find me on there. And then yeah, I mean, Emmer Jones is still looking to hire. Um, so if you have someone's interest, I'd be more than happy to answer questions there. Or if there was more just on their phone, financial planning, I'd be more than happy to answer questions. Uh, Edward Jones has a website. So if you can, you can just probably Google Edward Jones, Jason Lavely, you can find me that way. Right um, or you could you know, s- search by zip code. So if you search, you know, go to Edward Jones and then find advisor, if you type in nine two one one seven, that'd probably be the top result because we have 20,000 advisors at Edward Jones. We're actually the Quite largest firm in the, in the industry now in terms of advisor count. Um, so we, when I, when I was hired in 2015, we're only at 14,000. So we've grown close to 6,000 advisors in the last almost six years.
0: That tells me people are getting smarter with their money. That's what it tells me. Yeah. (laughs) They're paying attention. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Nice.
0: Well, awesome. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show, man. It's great to have you on here, talk shop a little bit, and uh, hopefully we can help out, um, more people, right? Let's help out some more military with finances and budgeting and, and planning for the future. And, um, And of course, if anybody's transitioning and want to talk about transitioning into this career field, it's a great career field. It really is um, really rewarding. And um, I encourage you guys to uh, dig a little bit deeper. So Jason, thanks so much, man, for being on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. If for any information or follow up to this episode, you can reach out to me at valoanguy.us.